Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida. Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome. You're welcome. But, no, I, I was going to wait. Tell people that's me talking after the intro with you doing the announcement. Oh, the the intro that I do live every time. Yep, got it. Yeah, we'll put air quotes around that live. So this is the this is the normal thing of welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. We have another family show this week. Matthew is already on the Zoom call in case you hadn't noticed. And uh, I'm not going to record a bumper for this. We are going to jump right on in and start talking about season eight, episode four, Another Room, which had an original air date of October 11th, 1986. So uh, general uh, initial thoughts, Matthew, about about this gem. Uh, What has happened to our show? (laughs) I know. I know. I know what this episode is just. And dear listeners, I don't want to be that negative Nelly that shits all over it because I do love it. No, that's my job. But, oh, it was like they let, the, uh, who wrote this? And, oh. and, and, and I just, oh. <laughs> Perfectly articulated. <laughs> I just... <laughs> just kept asking, like, I kept, things would happen in this episode and i i audibly said out loud what yeah there are so many i started numbering my wtf moments there were so many and uh i think i ended up with seven of them no i have six um i have six official wtf moments but some of them actually have multiple points within them and uh oi well, let's let's the, the sooner we get to it, the sooner we'll get done with it. And uh, devoted listeners, God bless you. We hope you enjoy us more than you enjoyed this episode, more than we enjoyed this episode, uh, because it was uh, written by three people. There was a story by Catherine Green, but the teleplay was by Michael Morer and Martha Williamson. It took three people to come up with this. Oh, yeah. So Catherine Green, this is her first of two episodes. And in both cases, they're only story by. So she is not responsible for the actual script, the teleplay. Uh, She is an executive or a supervising producer in eight episodes of the show this season. Previously, she was a producer on One Day at a Time, and she had written for Alice, Cheers, The Ropers, Taxi, Mama's Family, and Newhart. And after this, beyond her future holds, writing and producing shows like Brothers, Married with Children, The Drew Carey Show, and My Wife and Kids. I just saw a blooper reel from Alice. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's a show I didn't watch. I I fell away from it, and I don't think I watched any of the last two seasons, like when Vera was married, and I never saw the finale when they actually shut down the whole place and did their farewells. The the blooper reel starts with Linda Lavin, a close-up of Linda Lavin, and you hear action, and she goes, somebody just farted. (laughs) 
That's <laughs> <laughs> like her and Vera for like three minutes talking about somebody farted. Did you hear somebody farted? Oh my God. <laughs> so I guess somebody on the crew farted. <laughs> wow. Well, then our teleplay, we are already familiar with Michael Maurer. Of course, we discussed he's good with the cartoonish episodes with the nightmare sequences. Well, that like, explains Blair crashing through the wall. Ding, ding, ding. You Sorry. get out of my brain. That's exactly what I thought. Only a script by Maurer would have something as ridiculously slapstick as, yeah, Blair falling through a like a lathen plaster wall, not even just drywall. Like this is, you can see the slats where there's horizontal pieces of wood that there would be plaster over. This is not a new construction home. And yet she comes out of it completely unharmed, except her fingernail. Uh, but uh, yeah, Michael Moore to remind you, he wrote, come back to the truck stop. Uh, the candidate with Blair and the fucking kangaroo costume and out of peak skill part one, including Mrs. Garrett's nightmare funeral scene that they did. So this is his fourth of six episodes. He only works here this season. And then it seems like he does go back to the world of cartoons and has consistently worked in the uh, animated division of show business uh, after this. Now, Martha Williamson, this is her second of eight episodes that she will write. And I think she's all the way to the end of the series. I think she might have been written Big Apple Blues. I think that's one of hers, one of the backdoor pilots. But the only episode we have seen previous to this one was Concentration, mm. which is one of the good ones. I would say that one kind of moved up towards my top five. We didn't say, I don't think we mentioned that in the Betwixtisode. I talked about, you know, whether there were some that we, didn't expect to be on our top list or our bottom list, but I have to say, uh, concentration, I should have said that that's definitely among my top 10. And then all we have to add to that is it was directed by John Boab. So we have John on hand. <laughs> how he, I, you wonder how much input did he have? Did he have any ability to say, does this really make sense? Does it really? Anyway. Again, we, we have to remember, like Diana has told us, they were literally pumping these out week mm -hmm. by week. This yeah. was before streaming. This was before video cassettes, for Christ's sake, practically. So, I mean... It took longer to make them <laughs> to do all the tech work. Yeah. They weren't expecting... By the way, does anybody know what VHS stands for? Uh, video home system? I don't know. Oh, anyway. But like, <laughs> I, I just like, I just have to remember, like these people probably doing this show were thinking this will be seen twice, once originally, and then once over the summer when we re redo it, these will never be seen. You, you know, I have to wonder if there was a thought process, like who gives a fuck, like, yeah. you know, and there were reruns then. Come on. Reruns were, a, I mean, Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch, all of that shit was raking in the cash for those producers. You just wonder if they didn't have any faith in the longevity of this show. Yeah. And, and if you could have, if we could get into the time machine and go back and say, this show will still be so known and popular that there will be a podcast about it and they're going to do an episode live for Christmas, for the holidays in 2021 in the future i'm sure they'd be like no this this yeah. shit they people like this really 
VHS, by the way, and I did have to Google it, stands for Video Home System. Hmm. Anyway, let's let's start getting okay. to it because we need to start actually delivering with all of the WTFs. We're, we're, we're really overplaying the generality of the shittiness of this episode, but oh, no, no, no. We have specific examples to support our theses. And now you need my synopsis. And now I need your TV guide synopsis. What okay. do we have? Okay. Go. In this episode of The Facts of Life, Mrs. Garrett needs her sewing machine in Africa. <laughs> which oh, is, I don't check. know which WTF moment that is on your list, but. Uh, uh, well, guess what? <laughs> number one, number one WTF moment of many, 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 many. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Microscopic uh, dissection analysis commence. Mm. We begin the episode in the girl's bedroom. Beverly Ann is doing the laundry. And to give Cloris Leachman something to do, they have her waving the sheet around like she's doing a Martha Graham interpretive dance. And God, she's good. Cloris Leachman's so fucking talented. <laughs> but uh, immediately I had questions. Thankfully, these, these, this is not one of the WTF moments. But the question was, so is she their mom now? Is she their maid? She's, she's cleaning the sheets? Is that what she moved here for? It is explained later, but my first line is, so they brought Cloris Leachman in to be the housekeeper. Yeah, <laughs> what the fuck? She okay. could have gone to the Drummonds for that. Um, okay, so true. And um, we're, we're going to put a, put a pin in that. So then Joe comes in, very, very tired. She's been going to a lot of classes, having to study. Uh, she uh, has to lug around this massive jacket that she is wearing that looks like a nice football player's formal bathrobe. Holy fuck balls. I don't know if we've ever had this oversized an article of clothing on any of the girls thus far. Do you agree? Well, it's that. And like, I don't know about you, but we've talked about this before. Like, when I get home, especially if I'm going to take a nap, uh, I would take off my fucking shoulder padded blazer. Thank you. And the fact that she walks in and has nothing to say, like she's got no lines, not even a hello or to the other human that's in my room, like yep. just literally walks by. And I, ugh, okay, I'm already annoyed. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. Don't worry. So Joe is trying to sleep, but Beverly Ann won't shut the fuck up because Beverly Ann is flaky. And uh, is this what she's going to do now? Is she just going to be a pain in the ass? But the talk is that Joe only has a small window of time she can't sleep because the other girls usually are back doing their things. And it uh, kind of boils down to all of them keep such crazy hours now, particularly with Tootie now being a college student. Uh, so Joe says, actually, she's been thinking about getting a place of her own. Uh, this is WTF. Actually, this is WTF number zero. If I have to start numbering, I can't renumber them. So, okay. Maybe if I do them out of order, this is the, the, is it the sixth? Is that what I said? Good God, I'm losing track. Anyhow, first WTF moment. Why would Joe, regardless of how difficult it is to live there with all the girls, why would she get an apartment of her own? That would cost her money. 
Why would she go back to the dorms when that would cost her money? When Joe is the one on scholarship and money is always an issue. Her father, Charlie, didn't clearly fucking pay for school when he won his damn lottery money, that dumbass. And now it's like, okay, it's not just that you live there. You own the business in the building where you live. Why would you go to that extra expense? That's re-fucking-diculous. Your thoughts? I wrote down, oh, you're going to move out with what? You have no money. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. But of the conversation that Joe is hoping not to participate in, Beverly Ann says she got a card from Edna somewhere in Africa. And she says, I'm quoting now, she is running a sewing class for the Peace Corps, and she could sure use her old sewing machine. You're going to ship a fucking... Now, here's the deal. At this point, you don't know if it's just like a singer in a case. Yeah, no. Even that is like, it's expensive. And also, you're... Uh, <laughs> spit it out use your words i guess in 19 in 1986 was america so short-sighted that when we thought of africa we only thought of ethiopia and the desert and tigers and lions and bears oh my there's yeah. no possible way that there's a sewing machine in africa somewhere that some other person in the Peace Corps didn't have a connection somewhere, could have it driven up on a truck from Johannesburg. I, I don't know. I You're agree the with Peace you. Corps. Like, I don't know what the Peace Corps does completely, but like in my head, they feed and they educate and stuff like that. And maybe sewing is something that you would learn. But like, if you're thinking about like Ethiopia where the kids have flies around their heads, like the pictures that we saw, yeah. I'm not, I'm not being racist. Like the pictures That's that what we, we saw, were like, fed when we were yeah, kids, no we question. Were fed that everybody has flies flying around their heads. And yeah. um, I remember in the eighties to look thinner, you actually trained flies to, to fly around <laughs> your head. Um, but uh, but the thing is, if it's, you know, one of those, okay, the Peace Corps, they set up schools, they it's education, things like that. Well, if she's running a sewing class with a sewing machine, what the fuck are you teaching these Ethiopian people? You're teaching them how to use a sewing machine that they could never, ever possibly have access to unless it was in your class? Yeah, it feels to me like a sewing class in Africa with the Peace Corps would be like, this is how you thread a needle. This is how you sew two things together. Thank you. Um, It wouldn't be like, okay, now you want to get your bobbin all set up. And then (laughs) don't push too hard on the battle. Yeah, the presser foot. Now, yeah, you're going to snap the needle. And I mean, it's so ridiculous. I mean, I don't know if you had any sewing classes in school, like in junior high school, but it is a room with a row of singer sewing machines because everyone has to, you, if you're going to learn to sew, everyone has to have access to it. You got to have a class full of kids or, you know, uh, unskilled wives. You're going to take fucking turns on one sewing machine in a class. It, it's, uh, it is such a WTF moment. And we still have, again, let's put another pin in that, different colored pin, because we're going to be coming back to some other WTFs about this. Oh, we are two, <sighs> literally two lines into this episode. We are. It's <laughs> terrible. So 
but Beverly Ann says she can't find it. So Joe's like, maybe you should check the attic since you don't live here and you don't even know where the fuck we keep things anyway. Why, what, where did you look? Did you look in the kitchen cabinet? What, anyway, again, back to, is this like a tabletop thing you could put in a case where it's like, it's like a large, heavy, oversized briefcase. Like th- right. at that point, it's not completely crazy, implausible one, that it could be shipped somewhere or two, that it could be somewhere stored in a home where you can't quite remember where it is. Is it in the back of a closet or whatever? But um, again, pin, put, please, people. (sighs) You're going to need a lot of pins for this episode. Yeah. Oh my God. You're going to (laughs) be, I'm going to call Natalie Dolliner, my acupuncturist and say, could you help us out, girl? Ah. Fuck me. Natalie comes in as soon as Beverly Ann leaves. And it seems like Joe's going to have a moment to herself. Natalie comes in on her Walkman. She is singing Born to Run, some Springsteen. Now that carries over. We do know the girls are Springsteen fans. There were multiple Bruce Springsteen concerts in Peekskill that we kind of scratched our heads at variously in earlier seasons, if you remember those. But thankfully, when Tootie and Natalie come in, Tootie makes some noise and Natalie's, I'm sorry, when Tootie and Blair come in, Tootie makes some noise and Natalie's like, shh, Joe's trying to sleep. And Tootie's like, it's just the dry cleaning. And this is where we can remove the pin earlier about Beverly Ann doing laundry. Uh, Natalie says to Tootie, I thought it was Joe's turn to do the dry cleaning. And Tootie says, no, it's Joe's turn to do the sheets. And Natalie says, I just helped Beverly Ann with the sheets. And Tootie went, oh, that's right. Joe traded it with her so that she could snake the drain." Giggity. (laughs) Yeah, Joe needed to snake the drain, if you know what I mean. (laughs) So thank God. And this is the first time ever we're getting a sense of what their lives at home are like. And again, was it did did Mrs. Garrett clean the toilets and the bathtubs and all that shit or whatever? So I do painfully have to credit this invoice here as far as laying out that the girls do share and swap chores. That was a good thing. I wish maybe we had talked about this, oh, at the beginning of season five. Anyway, there's still noise. The girls just can't avoid making all this noise. So Joe just jumps up and says, enough, I'm getting a place of my own. And the girls are all like, what? And they back and forth and no, we can't break up the team and blah, blah, blah. Blair had a very funny bit, cartoonish, I will give you. What? With the ironing board. Lisa Welchel as a physical comedian <laughs> is unmatched. And she's just gorgeous this season. I just love her hair. Mm-hmm. I love her look. I love the way um, Diana dressed her. And But that was, <laughs> that was comedy. I laughed. Nope, when... I, I agree. And ironing boards are fucking loud. I was thinking that as well. I was like, we live in 2021 and I have the exact same ironing board that Blair just fucking pulled out. (laughs) Me too. And I've had it for like 20 years. Like it's literally, I I think I had that ironing board when I bought my house in 98. And I don't even have an (laughs) iron anymore. I don't even iron anymore. Oh, I do. I still do a little bit. Yeah, no dry cleaning. Take it out of the dryer before it's finally dry and just let it hang. You'll be fine. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) 
Uh, so this uh, deep conversation of the girls being so concerned that Joe wants to move out is where Beverly Ann interrupts by saying, I found grandma's sewing machine, but I need help getting it out of the attic. So Joe is kind of like, well, why don't all of you go help her? And while you're at it, go fuck yourselves and leave me alone and I can sleep. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course. And so off they go and that scene ends. Then we get into the attic. <laughs> The attic that I think the producers, writers, I mean, John Boab directed the other episodes with Kevin, played by the wonderful Ryan Cassidy, when he briefly was living in the attic. So we know what the attic looks like. And then suddenly there is this alternate universe attic, this multiverse fucking skewed Doc Brown Back to the Future 2 timeline where the attic suddenly is not only accessed from the left side of the screen when before the entrance was on the right side of our screen with a few steps coming up, but it's also no longer above the girl's bedroom where it used to be. It used to be Kevin lived upstairs. Now we are later gonna learn the attic is next door to the girl's bedroom. And it, what, uh, um? I'm assuming you went back and looked and compared. They are two completely different sets. Yeah, like that open fan in the back where, you know, it, the, for the air ventilation in this yeah. one, there's like that open fan where you could see the treetops outside. No, there was none of that in Ryan's uh, time there. It's, I mean, it looks, you know, it looks like, an attic it's it's a standard yeah. garden variety attic, but the layout is completely different so i it doesn't make any sense and it would be one thing to say well this is just the attic it's flip-flopped or something like that but it's like holy shit wait the later point when blair falls through the wall that's where i was like what no she she had to have fallen down and then over and what well and where's the staircase to get to that attic because I, agreed agreed is there just a long hall i don't i don't understand like makes this no house, architectural this house sense is ridiculous <laughs> it's worse than the brady bunch house but okay then we get to the, the okay so that was one wtf moment here's the next one the sewing machine is found it is one of those antique all steel full table made of metal where the bottom platform you put your feet on and you rock your feet back and forth. It is a mechanical turn of the century, 1800s, Thomas Edison freaking model, antique full table sewing machine. Um, yeah, I, 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 the, the questions that went running through my head when that was discovered, I was like, it would cost you less just to, but by, by a, I mean, also, here's a turn of the century fucking sewing machine I'm going to teach everybody on. Yeah. <laughs> clearly is... one of a kind now. But you're all going to learn on this. Never mind having to thread a bobbin on a brand new singer that, like, will do uh, anything. So, anyway, I just had so many questions about that. So many questions. And we also didn't address the question of, this building, for all intents and purposes, burnt down. 
<laughs> at the beginning of season seven. The girls' bedroom, which we know is on the same level as this attic, the girls' bedroom was burnt beyond you know, livable condition. They had to have the whole place yeah. redone and renovated. So the miracle of fire, the attic was untouched. Yeah. David. And that's typical. You know, when your house is burned down, everything gets burned except the attic. Yeah, yeah. that's common. <laughs> but so aside from how did it survive the fire, secondly or thirdly, or whatever the power fucking number here, how did it get there? Because previous to Mrs. Garrett moving into this building, she worked and lived at Eastland, and then she worked and lived at the Drummonds. How did she end up with her grandmother's sewing machine? That she didn't had she, it. Didn't she have, a, wasn't she sewing in like the episode where she makes one of the girls a dress in the first season? We might have to go back and look and see if it's the same. Uh, no, it's oh, in the pilot, see. remember? Because Natalie has that pretty dress that, <laughs> you know, they say she's too fat to fit in. She says, I grew out of it before I grew into it, is the terminology. But um, yeah, so Mrs. Garrett uses the sewing machine to tailor it so Cindy can wear it to the harvest yes. dance. Uh, and that's where, of course, her um, her time clock ticking kicked in. We know this, Matthew, because... We only just recently relived that when yes. we redropped season one, episode one. Mrs. Garrett in her bedroom had a singer tabletop sort of. Um, but also she's visiting. So we can assume that that is not hers. At that point, she's visiting. She's, well, she just started there. This, is, this isn't um, Garrett's girls on different okay. strokes. This is the okay. pilot facts of life, roughhousing. So she lives there, but that's not the, if they had had it, then it might be like, oh, she somehow kept it and moved it, moved it with her. But here's the deal. That is a singer table model where when you buy it, you're buying the table desk and the machine. It's still not something portable. It's yeah. Oh yeah. that's where I my mom to... taught me how to sew on a sewing machine, by the way, on one like that. I meant to go back and look because um, Tootie pulls out her, um, her shoot, her, roller skates were they her roller skates they were not no when they're up in the attic tootie reminisces and looks at them they are not yeah. the same as the roller skates she was always wearing oh she says my first pair of roller skates so i mean they could predate the show but then that would have tootie there too early in her life and you know that would break the rule that she started there in sixth grade and let's oh not god go there. what have i started yeah yeah no i'm, I'm stopping because um Anyway, so the question of how did how does she have this to begin with? And then how did it survive? Other than it is made of all steel and probably, you know, doesn't have any flammable pieces or components. But what the fuck? So Beverly Ann leaves the attic. Then we come back to Joe in the room. And Joe is on the phone talking to somebody about an apartment. And uh Beverly Ann comes in and, uh, and when you look back at it, when you watch this the second or third time, as I did, this is where the kind of sweatiness of the episode comes through. Where you are like, Joe, let's sit down and talk about it to make sure Joe and Beverly Ann are positioned on that bed. And then we go back to the attic. They're trying to move the sewing machine and it's too heavy for three adult women to lift. Yeah. 
but they're going to box that bitch up and ship it to Africa. They're going to they're going to get a crate apparently and send it on a freaking freight boat. That's not going to cost $15,000. Jesus. Um so then as they're trying to lift it lift the thing, we have another WTF moment where Blair is suddenly like, "Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait." I hear something. I hear people talking. And then she goes over and listens to the wall on the right side of the screen and she says, I can hear Joe and Beverly Ann talking. And I'm like, well, Kevin used to be able to hear you guys in your bedroom because there were vents. Remember, you guys could actually communicate through there. But I guess I guess this is a different attic in a different part of the house. But but Blair hears them through the wall. Well, yeah. Do you not know what rooms are up against the other rooms in your own goddamn house? Do you, I'm sitting here going, I know my bathroom is on the other side of this wall. When I'm in the living room, it's like, I know my shower is here. My closet is, it's like, wh what? Maybe she just never been in there and heard somebody in the other room talking. Like, yeah. Have you oh. ever been in your house and been like, oh shit, I can hear that person farting in the other room. <laughs> you know, I mean, I maybe. Uh, but whether or not- I'm trying Blair... to find the benefit of the doubt for nope. something in this episode, David. I'm trying. Oh. I'm gonna do you one better. Another WTF moment. Uh, in the previous scene, when they first discover the sewing machine before they start to move it, Blair says, I've never seen one of these before. And she says, come to think of it, I've never seen a sewing machine before. Your father's businesses, Warner Textile Foundation. He, he was fashion in season one, and then he just became textiles. like. In the course of all the alleged executive positions you have held with your dad's multi-quadrillion dollar corporation, you, Blair Warner, have never seen a sewing machine. And also you went to a girl's school. Yeah, you didn't see the one in Mrs. Garrett's bedroom in the pilot of season one, episode one. Um, did you not... Uh, this is that that stupid shit of um, remember the episode when there was the, the rainstorm and the flood and they hand Blair the plunger and Blair says, what is this? Blair did not know what a plunger was. It's like, oh, you've never goddamn watched a TV show ever. Fuck you. Come on. I remember being really pissed off at that at the time, and I'm still not over it. So now we have another one of these. Oh, come on. It's one thing to say she's rich and she's not been exposed to certain things like, you know, craft well, macaroni I mean, and cheese. And the joke <laughs> writes itself. She could have said, I, I mean, if you had to have her say something, which I don't know that you did, um, like, why wasn't the joke, we're shipping this to Africa? Thank or, you. Or <laughs> I've never seen one. And like, or like she could have been like, oh, I don't even know how to use one of these. You know what I mean? For all yeah. the years with Warner Textiles, I don't even know how to use one. <laughs> Never had to. Some, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, yeah. It and then fun. someone could add, and or Blair could say, oh, well, I have, but the ones I've used were approximately 100 years newer than this one. Thank you. <laughs> so we come back to the bedroom now. We have sort of this back and forth, back and forth. And Joe is still complaining about the girls and the situation. And Beverly Ann does say a nice moment where she says, well, Joe, when you have problems, you work them out. You don't leave home over them. 
And then Beverly Ann does point out that it is quiet right now. She says, yeah, you had that moment before when the girls were interrupting and annoying you, but there's no noise now. And talk about set up, set up, set up, set up. Think of it, Joe, it's usually like this. And as Beverly Ann stands up, clearing the bed, so only Joe is sitting on the corner, she says, this is a quiet, calm, and serene oasis of friendship and trust. Crash! Blair, or a stunt woman dressed as Blair, comes flying through this wall. Again, lath and plaster wall. Not, not drywall, which is just cement between paper. This is like the fucking real deal of how you construct an old house. And Blair just crashes through falls, landing conveniently on the bed. And that's how we go to commercial. Really? Yeah. You just fall through the wall? <sighs> okay. <laughs> but then when we come back from commercial, it's, oh my God, Blair, are you okay? She goes, oh no, I broke a nail. She's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Yeah, she landed on the mattress, but the amount of impact a human body, the speed that a human body would have to be to break through a plaster wall. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's just insanity. So Natalie and Tootie poked their heads in because part of me was like, no, that can't be the, the same room. No, she has to have like fallen down a, a, a shaft or a, a vent and then nope Tootie and Natalie poked their heads in there's like oh hey what's actually Natalie hey did Blair come through here <laughs> I did laugh at that so we've already discussed I this is in my notes where I had the thing about so the attic is uh, next door to the bedroom so why is it uh, anyway so technically girls you are living in the attic <laughs> And honestly, when you look at that upper level and the beams, the ceiling beams, it does, it, it is kind of lofty. It almost does make sense, but then you wouldn't call that attic the attic. You'd kind of call it the storage room. And again, where do you access this from? Where the fuck? Oi. Um, so uh, to their credit, this is a good thing when Joe is still talking about moving out. Natalie does say, Joe, having your own apartment is no picnic. Remember, Tootie and I tried it last year. Thank you for reminding us of that. And uh, what did I say at the time, Matthew? Natalie, if you want time to write, if you need alone time, quiet time, why don't you just stay up in the attic where Kevin stayed? But nope. But then they come up with the idea of converting the attic into a bedroom. That way, there'd be more space, blah, blah, blah. And then Beverly Ann says, well, a professional contractor could fix it up really nice. Professional contractor. Um, by the way, where the fuck is George Clooney right now? Why is he not there? You mean the professional contractor that, that lives right next door? The, the, the hardware store owner's son across the street who couldn't, keep away from the shop last season and he's nowhere to be found he didn't show up for mrs garrett's wedding um he didn't show up for tootie almost deciding to have sex and he could have been there for that um he's busy getting his doctorate i don't know because he's <laughs> about to start in er though on er yeah that's probably true 
Um, but yeah, the deal is at no point in this world, it should be, well, we need to do some renovations. Well, let's ask George what he thinks and how much it's going to cost us, knowing that he would do it for them for free or almost nothing. But now we get into this idea of George Burnett does not exist and uh, a professional contractor is the way to go. Joe smartly says, that costs money. And the girls are like, well, we like the idea of having more space. Natalie says she'll contribute toward the renovations. I'll put in overtime at the cannery. Yeah. They love she's me no, there. She's no longer working um, on the highway system. No longer on the road crew with Snake. Giggity. Uh, so just pointing that out as far as while we're tracking Natalie's careers and jobs. Um, so they basically convinced Joe to keep them all together. Let's all spend money to renovate. Am I crazy? This house belongs to Raymond, doesn't it? This was something that he bought the building and was renting it to his mother so that she could have a business and an income. And they don't own this house. Yeah, that was that was later on. I wrote that down. I mean, I thought it, but I didn't write it down until later on. Like, you don't own this house. Yeah. At no point ever has this house changed hands. And, uh, and remember, when, when it burned down last year at the beginning of season seven, I was like, why is Mrs. Garrett dealing with all the insurance and the renovations and rebuilding and stuff? Why is Raymond not involved? Or why didn't Raymond say, I wash my hands of it? And then have Edna say, well, wait a minute, we can do this. We'll, you know, we'll handle this all on our own. That would have been fine. But anyway, uh, Joe does agree to this renovation as long as it's not too expensive. Joe, well, who? I have a question. Forgive me. because mm -hmm. I'm just looking at my notes. We, we skipped past the scene where she's on the phone or, or she's telling Beverly Ann or somebody that she's found an apartment already. Yes. And she, and he'll knock $5 off if I take the room above the oven because it's in a, over a pizza parlor. Yeah. And I again, I'm hit with like TV not understanding money. Like, mm -hmm. like in how many times we had to hear like 2D be like, it took me all summer to save that $20. Yeah. You know, and like, he's going to knock $5 off the rent, bitch, <laughs> $5 off the rent. It, no. you might have, it, fuck off. <laughs> Seriously. Like that's yeah. a fucking deal breaker. Oh, I don't know that $5. Mm -hmm. Like anyway, but maybe it was in 1986, but as I sit here in an overpriced apartment in Lake Buena Vista, Florida, I I'm like, yeah, knock $5 off. Thanks a lot. <laughs> If they offered you would take it, wouldn't you? Well, I would, but I wouldn't act like I just fucking won the lottery for Christ's sake. <laughs> but Beverly she Ann says to Beverly and she goes, do you think I want to move out? Yes. You're the one who said you did. Yeah. Nobody else here wants you to go. What is that line? Do you, you think I want to move out? Yes. <laughs> You've been the one saying it. You're in the one fact. saying it, even though you don't have a fucking pot to piss in. Yeah. And then anyway, Beverly Ann is happy that they land at this because she says, good, Edna would have killed me if I let you go. If the team broke up, Edna would have been upset. So then 
Uh, but last she says, week, Natalie says, can we fix it up any way we want? And Joe says, within limits. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like y- you set a budget, people, and you say, you'll work well, within the budget. And you don't have to live in there, Joe. Yeah. Because so they I don't convinced- care if you put a fucking sling in the corner hanging from the ceiling, Natalie, for Christ's sake. It's your room. What do you mean? Can we fix it up any way we want within limits? Oh, what? Fuck off, Joe. I've had <laughs> enough of Joe this episode. Well, it's just because none of it makes any sense. It's not even that she's behaving badly. She's just behaving like nothing is connecting to reality here. And what we missed was that Blair and Joe quickly hit upon the fact that, well, actually, since we're the oldest ones, we should stay in here and you two youngins should get the other smaller space. And uh, so that's where it is. So Natalie and Tootie. But later, Matthew, we know that they're talking about they want uh, a, a, what is it, a sunlight? Um, A Barbara uh, Streisand skylight. Skylight. There it is. Probably (laughs) not cheap. And they're also talking about certain type of carpeting that was probably expensive and all this. But anyway, that's where the scene ends, where Tootie and Natalie are now the ones going to be in this new attic room. So um, then we go down to the living room. Beverly Ann has the sewing machine between the dining room and the couch. And apparently she's mending Andy's pants. Uh, Because WTF moment number 743. um, Andy, why are you sitting in this place that's not your home with people who are not your parents or your family in your underwear, covering yourself up with pillow cushions and letting Beverly Ann mend your pants on this antique sewing machine. Maybe she's the only one with a sewing machine and he had a pants emergency. A, a, a pants urgency, yeah. <laughs> uh, just bizarre. So, so fucking weird. And in this case, suddenly for the first time, he's not horny Andy because when Beverly Ann asks him to turn down the stew, so Beverly Ann is cooking, and ask him to do that while she's tied up at the machine. He basically is like, well, no, I don't have any pants on and I'm embarrassed. So he picks up two pillow cushions to cover, but he's covering the front of him. And as he backs up, Joe comes in the door and she looks and I think she says red, huh? Meaning the color of his underwear. Yeah. Yeah, because underwear wasn't colors back then. Remember, it was it was tidy whities or nothing. Like color underwear was a fairly new thing in the 80s. Do you remember that? Um, yes, I personally would have written like her looking down and going Snoopy or, <laughs> exactly you know, or, or something, yeah. but yeah, red, like, yeah, mm. yeah, and it, so it I made me laugh. And the fact that that could have been played horrifically, and the wonderful Mackenzie Aston was just. Every right mm-hmm. choice. I again, he's he's on, he's man. He, so is, good. he is it. He is right and good. Um, so but with that, it's interesting how horny Andy that we usually have encountered, where he's like, Yeah, would you girls record some moaning sounds for me? Oh, while the place is burned down, you can come and stay at my house. I have a really big bed. There is a part of me that's kind of like where uh, you know, Joe says red, huh? The fact that he's so mortified, part of me kind of feels like 
the Andy we've seen before would have been like, yeah, bet you hate to see me go, but like to watch me leave. I see this is perfect because horny Andy is a character that he hides behind. And we got to see the real Andy here who is actually mortified by being seen as his underwear. And I know because I've played this character before. People mm -hmm. think that Matthew has had this crazy, insane life. And it's like, I'm talking to straight boys, like I would do filthy things to you. And then when one of them is like, okay, I'm like, I get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what is wrong with you? No, you're not spending the night. The dog He's chasing Christ. the bus. Get out of here. So I loved it. I, I actually enjoyed this scene with Andy. His final word before he leaves is, this could leave a permanent scar psychologically, uh, which I think is lovely, or emotionally or something like that. Anyway, um, so now Joe comes in. First question out of Beverly Ann. Did you get the bank loan? <laughs> and Joe says, no, I put in the application, but I haven't heard anything yet. Uh, Natalie did get her bank loan, but you know, remember Natalie has a steady income and I'm just a student. And uh, WTF and WTF, Natalie does not have a steady income. Natalie has been working for a temp agency and clearly the, the job with the road crew didn't work because she's at a cannery right now. So and I'm not sure. You are not just a student, Joe, you are a business owner. Ding, ding, ding. You are fifth <laughs> partner in a store called Over Our Heads. And what, so- There's definitely some collateral that you have for a fucking thousand dollar loan. But you're a scholarship student. How is she a scholarship student? How is she able to claim a hardship when she's now a business owner? That's like, they might have to like, she needs to get out of, get through this senior year quickly before they're on to her. So the scholarship student that doesn't have a pot to piss in, is applying at a bank for a loan to pay for a renovation in a house that she doesn't own so that she and Blair can, uh, okay. Uh, the only thing I can think of is ulteriorly, she's thinking, well, if just Blair and I are sharing a bedroom and the other two are not there anymore, lickety split. Yeah. Um, that's, that's your phrase, I stole that from you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. But Joe says she can swing it if her part is under $500. So uh, down comes Blair and she's talking about what side of the room she wants to be on. I want to be near the closets and the window. Then Tootie and Natalie come down with a contractor named Virgil. <laughs> this actor is Kent Perkins and uh, he's super Southern playing up the Southern accent. Doesn't have a lot of credits. He's only got 29 credits on his IMDb. And it seems like he specializes in guy roles, Southern roles, tough dude roles. And probably the most interesting fact I found out about him, do you know whom he is married to, to this day? Mm -mm. Since 1979, this actor, Kent Perkins, has been married to Ruth Buzzy. Jesus Christ. I shit you not. They are still married to this day. Both still alive, both still working. I, what the fucking fuck? How many times do I mention Ruth Buzzy? Because I fucking love her and she's got a funny name. Ugh. Anyway, so putting that out there. Uh, 
but this is where Tootie and Natalie are talking about their fancy uh, upgrades, the whole we want to do the room our way if we're going to have to be living there. And Virgil quotes them $16,000. Mm-hmm. Blair says, that's How reasonable. That? How much is that today? Oh, I didn't look it up. Do you want to look it I'll up look for it me? Up. Please. And the funny moment where as soon as 16,000 comes out of his mouth, the audience and the, the actors are all, <gasps> and Blair just goes, well, that's reasonable. Jesus <laughs> like, no. Christ, it's $40,000 today. I mean, I'm sorry, $40,000 today, you could gut a bathroom <laughs> for 40. You could do a cheap, uh, a cheap kitchen refresh with like prepackaged uh, cabinets. No, no custom cabinetry. But if you do, you know, economical flooring, economical backsplash, find a deal on your appliances. <laughs> and weren't the and didn't they build the whole store for ten thousand dollars? I feel like they did. Like that. You're right. I think they did. And this is literally an attic. So the structure is all there. They added the door. We later find out. But it's you know they were adding some electrical. Blair mentioned, look, just some walls and a few plugs. It's like that shouldn't cost a lot that should be the cost of drywall and paint and well luckily it doesn't because miraculously he comes down from sixteen thousand to four thousand <laughs> but it's, okay I think, right but i think that's the if you want to do the basics like look girls if you just want the basics bare bones nothing if you're trying to do this on the cheap the best i could do is four thousand and the girls are like okay tootie says i have my savings bonds <laughs> like you said she she spent an entire summer saving up $20 for something. Um, it, it, so, yeah, Tootie, if you have $1,000 in savings bonds, why did you and Natalie have to work as frugging bus girls and the Catskills when you met Jasbo that year? But anyhow, Natalie says, I have my loan. And Blair says, is cash okay? As she reaches for her purse. <laughs> I'm sorry. The idea that Blair Warner would have $1,000 in cash sitting in her purse. Of course she would. Remember, her allowance in season four was $10,000 a month. Yeah. We discovered that in, in Daddy's Girl, the one where the dad was having uh, some tax auditing going on. But uh, anyhow, it ends with all of them like, yeah, okay, four grand, that'll work. And Joe is very perturbed. Next scene, upstairs, construction's going on. The wall over the bed that was crashed through has been fixed. Next to it is the new door leading into this new bedroom. WTF moment number 10,040. <laughs> so, so you say it, you say it. How is this better? Because they're still going to be plowing by your bed to get to their room. There's just now a door. I oh. Thank you. It's like, so you have to, well, unless, you know, well, well, why put the door there? Or at least say, well, we're not going to use this door. We're going to use that other magical stairway that led up to the attic in the first scene. It is absolutely fucking ridiculous that there is a door to basically make a bedroom beyond another bedroom. Yeah. You're now staying in what do they call an adjoining room in a hotel. Yeah. And yeah. And if Joe <laughs> and Blair, are in this room where we're seeing most of the action. The fact that you voluntarily said, no, we want this room and not the new space. Well, the new space is the place where you're gonna get your privacy, even if you have to walk past the others. 
so it's it is just fucking preposterous. Anyway, uh, Andy has another cute little scene where he's been helping and he's talking all Southern guy like and talking tool things and being around Virgil is influencing him and his speech patterns. And then at the end, he says, yeah, Virgil says I'm the best assistant he ever had. And Virgil pops out and says, yeah, don't forget to get sodas with those sandwiches. So or something to that effect. It's the oh, he's just the gopher. But anyway, Joe comes in. She didn't get the loan. Blair offers to loan her the money. And Joe says no. And it's like, Blair, I don't want your money. I want my money. I want to be able to pull my weight. Okay, we'll give you that. Blair Warner is richer than fucking shit. She could uh, forget loaning. I would have said, no, I don't want you to lend me the money, Blair. Just fucking pay for it. Yeah. You have a thousand dollars in your purse right now that you will not miss. <laughs> it's, and, and let's back up to season five. Why did you not buy us all our own house again? Could you remind us why that had to happen where we're all sharing a bedroom where four adult fucking women and I'm back to, Joe, you can't even get a loan. You wanted to move out? Yep. Like You were the one that wanted to move out, and you can't even get a loan. What? Yeah. What, how was that going to be? Is, is your income so good from over our heads that you were going to be able to swing that, but not your tuition? But again, I'm back to like, they're going to they're gonna come after Joe, say, bitch, you've been scamming us. You have an income. You're not, uh, you're not low income. You're not special needs. And uh, the whole, I'm sorry, the whole, we aren't friends bit. Yeah. Come on. Aren't we past that? Yeah. Blair says, Joe, how long have we been best friends? And Joe looks at her. Okay, good friends. Joe continues to glare at her. Friendly. We, we, we've been friendly for seven years. It's like, really? She's your wife. She's your fucking yeah. wife. Come on. Um, it, it, I, it, there, I don't know. There just there could have been a better, if you needed a joke there, there could have been a better joke than that, for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to still believe that, that Joe doesn't love Blair. I mean, True. whatever. Yeah. She went in Blair's place to George Clooney's class reunion. That's how much she loves Blair. Wouldn't you? I mean, true, I would have too. Uh, so- I, I would have locked Blair in a trunk. <laughs> and be like, I don't know where she is, but I am here and look, oh my God, I have this dress on. This is amazing. <laughs> I guess, I guess I should go, huh? So we'll, we'll worry about Blair later. <laughs> so, and the other thing is that Blair originally starts off with it being, uh, you know, this certain amount of interest rate and blah, blah, blah. And Joe says no. And then finally she just says, all right. Oh, she says, I'll give you a better interest rate, but I want to be in the bed near the window. And Joe was like, Blair, no. And then Blair says, okay, no strings attached. I will lend you the money. And Joe was like, thank you, but still no. So here's the thing. Couldn't Blair have said, so you go to a bank which is basically a total stranger institution and you would borrow money from them and pay it back with interest. And you call that holding your own, but borrowing it from me at a better interest rate, zero. And I would make you pay me back, make no mistake, but that's, that's the better option. Not just letting me be the bank here. 
because you know I can afford it. Uh, Any whoozle. It's that male ego that Joe has. Yeah, that's true. Toxic masculinity. This is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Joe just says, look, I'll get the money. I'm working on it. Hey. So then when she's alone, Joe calls on the telephone. They haven't always had a working phone in that room, have they, Matthew? <laughs> I feel... Oh. I- I feel like there was an episode where there was a phone, but wasn't there also an episode where the phone rang outside and they had to leave the room to go well, get you it? Had, next to tracking the girls' ages, I mean, the amount of phone tracking that you've done is pretty obsessive as well, David. Yeah, so you'd think I would know this off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm just going to say... Whether they have a business line, whether they have A shared lines. line or an extension or, yeah. But... Basically, I want to go on record saying I'm 99% sure that this working, functioning telephone up in the bedroom has not always been there and is not always there. Consistently. I feel like it. I feel like it's been there before. Maybe not that particular phone. Right. But, but I feel like there's also been times when there has not been a phone in ah, that room. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Where so there was saying, a ring like, from off camera. Oh, I have to go out and go answer the phone thing. It's like the Golden Girls TV. It, it shows up when it needs to. Yeah, same on the Brady Bunch and Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, same thing, totally. Uh, so uh, Joe is alone now. She gets on the phone and she dials and calls a guy named Hank. And she says, do you still want to buy my motorcycle? Mm. Beverly Ann overhears it. Joe leaves. Beverly Ann tells Blair that she overheard Joe saying she's going to sell her motorcycle. Blair says, no, if there's one thing I know, it's how to bring her to orgasm and that her bike is so completely important to her. It's like her child. When Miko uh, back at Eastland took her bike out and she could hear the bike crashing, she was like, oh no, my bike. And they said, how do you know it's your bike? And Joe says, a mother knows. So Blair is like, Beverly Ann, I hate you for saying this absolutely impossible thing about my girlfriend wife. Mm. Ring, ring. Hank's on the phone. And she's like, yeah, what? And Hank says, yeah, does that include the helmet or not? And so Blair is now faced with the reality that she was wrong and Beverly Ann was right. Hmm. Now, what is the joke that Beverly Ann does to get out of this scene? There's a bit that she does. Is there? And I, I blocked it out if it's there. Wait a minute. Like Let me like names like like she's like frickin' frack and something and something and blah blah blah. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's like but yeah, I, yeah. I don't understand the joke. I did I didn't understand it. I'm pulling up the transcript of the episode at subslikescript.com. They are inseparable. Blair says like peanut butter and jelly, ham and eggs. And then Beverly Ann says Roy and Trigger. And Blair says bingo. And Beverly Ann tags it with and Catholics. And Blair says right. And Beverly Ann says and left. And Blair goes stop. And she says and go, please. Get her out of here. Okay. It's it's sweaty. It is. I get I get it now because I I was like 
because I thought she, I didn't realize she was responding back to Blair. Yeah. When she uh, said uh, bingo and she said and Catholics, I thought it was its own thought. And she was like, and Catholics. I'm like, are Catholics known for like sticking together? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't I didn't understand the writing. So I, I did have Thank a moment you. where I went, huh? Oh, OK. You're, you're not wrong. I was also confused. But um, uh, yeah, you you are you are okay. definitely not wrong. I'm, I'm in the same boat. Right it. Yes. Uh, so. Joe later returns and she comes in. Blair is putting some clothes into the bureau and she says, where have you been? And Joe goes, none of your business. Jesus Christ, bitch. I know. <laughs> I think for the love of fuck. None so of your that, I, Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. And then Joe says, wait a minute. Why is my bed by the window? Because remember, Blair was all, I want the bed by the window. I want the bed by the window. And Blair says, hmm, I changed my mind. And Joe said, why? And Blair smilingly says, none of your business. And then Joe smiles and Joe goes to sit on the bed by the window. And that's fucking it. That's the end of the episode. What the shit? What the, What happened with the sewing machine? What <laughs> happened with Max pants? What happened with the- Did they the get the carpeting? Did, Did they, they get, get the, the skylight? <laughs> but more importantly- but Joe gets the window. Did, was that even a thing? Was that like, I, I don't feel yeah. like Joe put up that much of a fight about Blair having the window. And she- how does this make everything okay? Joe doesn't have transportation anymore. Like she sold, I know you sold your bike, but you get the window. <laughs> and so I, I don't remember. So I guess from this point in the series going forward, that's a big step for this character that Joe is no longer a motorcycle rider. Or how about, how about I wanted you to be by the window. So you could keep an eye on your motorcycle. Bingo. I talked talk to Hank and turns out it was worth more than you thought it was or something. And I bought it or whatever, something like, <laughs> but no, you get the window. I, I, uh, I really, I felt like somebody stopped having sex with me right before I finished with this episode. <laughs> there are the so ending, many. I was like, we will get what? one or two of these in an episode, usually one or two where it's like, uh, 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 writers, you're doing a little weird thing here. But the these these infractions are so egregious <laughs> and there are so many of them in this one 25 minute span of time. Uh, uh, oh All I God. can think of is that the end they were like, they were like, we got eight seconds that we yeah. need to film. And mm -hmm. this is, we got to bring it to an end in eight seconds. They're like, we're running out of time. Uh, uh, so I, again, nope. I, I would like to be a fly on the wall at writers meetings, at, but anyway, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? It is. And as uh, Tina Fey said about Saturday Night Live, the 1130 broadcast doesn't go on the air because it is ready. It goes on the air because it's 1130.
Yeah. Meaning whatever you've got ready, however much you polished it, however more you wish you could have polished it, that doesn't matter anymore. It's it's taping day. Uh, hearing the stories from Diana Eden uh, on the you know on the on the Patreon show about how they delayed production a week because of the uh, costuming issue that like you know you heard the shock in my voice that is astounding they would have done it yeah. uh but yeah it's it's pretty bad this this can't even fall into the oh david lighten up it's an 80s sitcom they have things at their disposal whenever they need them and then forget them later it's just whimsical fun uh no this episode just made me so crazy that's it that's all i can say it just made me crazy because does that room last we don't have that room there when natalie comes in and says that she had sex with snake are natalie and tootie in the room like like this this isn't even a change to the status of the show that room doesn't last does it it lasts but um you have to remember, we. I, I think it's like I was thinking, I was like, because I was trying to think of that too. I was like, I don't know off the top of my head if there are scenes that take place in that room. But it's like we went through all of this just to give an, a, another entrance to the bedroom set. Yeah. Like now they have two doors to get into their bedroom. How does this, and it, how does this help you be more private? If you have to go through my room to get through, like, I, what if I'm jacking off <laughs> and, and you, David, have to walk through my room to get to your bedroom? <laughs> what um, would happen? Please tell me slowly and <laughs> I would probably walk in and then turn on my heel and walk right back out. Say, I will come back later. You would walk by, look down and go red, huh? <laughs> Call back, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, but at least, even though Joe doesn't have privacy at the house, at least now she has no way to get away from them and travel somewhere of her own volition to go to a location that is private, like a coffee shop or some other play the mall. Or, or the Spencer's Gifts <laughs> that is just below you that yeah. sells coffee and has... It might look like there's a customer in there, Joe, yeah. if you were just sitting there reading at the table. I don't know. It has uh, a cafe table in it right there. And <laughs> yeah, this is so, so wrong. And I'm uh, I'm done talking about it. I hope our listeners don't drop off like viewers did. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Me originally aired, but... But the uh, viewers didn't drop. That's the funny thing is the viewer, really, we were talking about this in the Get Ready for Season 8. Its best season was uh, 24th. That was season three. The past season, season seven, it was 27. And I think this season, it only drops down to 31. Like it's, it doesn't crack the top 30, but it's right there close to it. And it's, it it's moved volume. to eight o'clock, Matthew. That whole thing I talked about where people were turning in early pre-Golden Girls to watch the Facts of Life. They yeah. swapped Facts of Life in 227 and put Facts of Life at the top of the hour. Facts of Life's ratings went down a little bit. 227's shot up. Yeah. 
it's so, all about it speaks volumes about time slots and how time you know, slot they will kill a show or make a show mm-hmm. but the facts of life audience did not dip that badly uh when they moved it to that eight o'clock hour which clearly wasn't doing any favors for 227 and then 227 stepped into it so it's like oh okay it's not the show it's the time slot that's the that's mm. the thing and and anyway. we just discovered our next podcast is going to be 227 because there's no place like home with your family around you you're never alone because when you know that you're loved, there's no need to roam. Because there ain't no place like home. Doo-doo-doo. Good Lord. Oh. No extra charge for my Jack Hay impression, ladies and gentlemen. That was my New Year's gift from me to you. I'm still loving the gift of your Cloris Leachman. Matthew, yep. happy fucking new year. Oh, happy new year, David. <laughs> I never, it never even occurred to me I would have the pressure, the demand, requirement even of doing a competent Cloris Leachman impression. I, I don't know how to do that. I don't. Well, well, you're nailing it. So keep up the good work. Yeah. See if I stay in the room next time I walk in while you're jacking off. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, this wraps up another show. And uh, again, we are bumper free. So next week, we're going to be watching season eight, episode five. Oh, my God. Off Broadway, baby. <gasps> yeah. Oh, are you, are you a, already are you, up to cinnamon? Are you allergic to cinnamon? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to wish you were. Uh, you know how we talk about how good of an actor Mac is? We need to start finding antonyms for those praising <laughs> words. Uh. But yeah, that's what we're going to be watching uh, next week. Of course, look for the link to the Daily Motion video of this episode in the show notes. And uh, that is it. We thank you for listening to this week's show. And do you want to sign us off, Matthew? And remember, the facts of life are all about you. I was trying to do a little okay. Paul Vogt twist on it. That was that was great. Okay. That was really good. All right. So that was your Cloris Leachman? No, I thought you wanted me to do I thought we always used to do it like Mrs. Garrett. I was only half oh. listening, David. I'm sorry. <laughs> I stopped talking and it's amazing what I don't hear when I'm yeah. not the one talking. <laughs> Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs> <laughs>